Ashley Penny, and welcome to the Traveler Co. Podcast. Over the last 10 years, I've traveled to over 30 countries, doing everything from short-term missions to helping start a guest house in the middle of the Mediterranean, and even building an online business that allowed me to spend months overseas while still making an income. I've seen God weave my story together better than anything I could have ever planned myself. And if I've learned anything along the way, it's how important Christ-centered community truly is. That's why I started Traveler Co. So wherever you find yourself listening in today, I hope this episode leaves you feeling more connected, but also equipped and empowered to discover the so much more that God has for your life, no matter what season you're currently in. So are you ready? Let's go. My name is Shania. I'm from Corning, New York, which is upstate about three, four hours away from New York City. Uh, I'm 23 years old and I'm finishing up my second year of Bible college right now. So I'm working on my associate's degree in biblical studies and I'm mainly doing that because two years ago I sat down in my pastor's office and I told him I wanted to go to Africa as a missionary and he said, okay, sure, but before you do that, you need to have a degree. So I'm working on that. Um, and when I finish that up, I'm founding a nonprofit. I actually have most of the stuff with the lawyer figured out, but I haven't released all the information yet just because I'm kind of busy with school. Um, but my heart is definitely missions in Africa, um, just super basic sharing the gospel. And I'm also currently working on a book about my testimony. So that's very exciting. Those yeah. are my current endeavors at the moment. Yeah. So interesting. He told you you had to have a degree to go on the mission field? or Well, basically, I sat down. Yeah, I sat down with him and I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to, and I don't necessarily want to be a long-term missionary in Africa, but he, he just was like, I'm seeing a pattern in your life. This is clearly God's will for you. This calling isn't going to go away. And he said, you don't need obviously a degree to share the gospel, but he said, your support raising in America and people here want to know that you know what you're talking about. Mm, so he okay. just said, I would encourage you to go to Bible school. And then he also gave me in that meeting, he gave me the name of his lawyer and he was like, and I want you to call Dave and found your nonprofit and develop that because people are going to want to know that they're not just giving their money to you personally. They're giving it to an organization that is trustworthy. And so those were the two things that he encouraged me to do. So those are the things that I'm in the process of doing. Cool. Well, I want to hear more about that vision and your um your heart for Africa in a little bit. But first, I'd love to hear more about your testimony and how you found the Lord. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. So I was raised Catholic. Um, I didn't know that I didn't know Jesus. I went to church sometimes, kind of stopped going in my teenage years. I was definitely living in sin in high school. Um, And I really had always wanted to travel. So I knew when I graduated that I was going to do something. I was going to study abroad. I was going to do something, but I was not going to stay in my town. Um, And so one day I went to visit my sister at college and she was wearing a t-shirt that said the world race. And I have no idea what that was, but I looked at it and I was like, what's the world race? And she was like, actually, I have no idea. I just bought this t-shirt from my friend. (laughs) And I was like, well, I'm going to do that. And she knew it was a mission trip and she, she was saved at the time and I wasn't. And she knew that I wasn't saved. And she was kind of like, mission trips are for Christians I was like yeah and I'm a Christian (laughs) like I am so I basically signed up for this trip used all of the money that I had previously saved for school to fund myself I fundraised just a little bit 
and I showed up at training camp. And so we have a three-day training camp in Gainesville, Georgia, <laughs> before they send you. And I heard the gospel for the first time there. And I just, I had no idea. I literally wow. was like, wait, what? God can set me free. I had so much guilt and shame from my past. And mm-hmm. I had no idea that I didn't have to live in that bondage so it was genuinely breaking news to me and there was no altar call or anything because obviously they assume that you're saved (laughs) um but I walked up to the speaker after she spoke and I was like hey can you pray for me and then I just like completely broke down I was like I think I need to get saved and um, I gave my life to Jesus there and then when I went to Thailand I was just I love it because I was so childlike in my faith I didn't actually know how to do anything the first time I ever prayed out loud was at training camp They said, pray for the person next to you. And I didn't know how to pray. So I told the girl, you pray first. And then I copied word for word everything she said because I didn't even know how to do it. It's interesting. I know the the world race, they like have a questionnaire and they obviously like have a phone interview and stuff before. But so did you, I'm curious, did you just like not, you kind of answered the questions, but because maybe you were raised Catholic, you just kind of assumed a lot of things about faith that. Yeah, exactly. You you were covered. I mean, I was very honest. Like I told you, I was living in sin in high school. I wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. So I was very honest about the lifestyle that I lived. I did make it sound like it was past tense, and truly it was. Like, I was never, like, a crazy partier or anything like that, but there was definitely sin in my life. So I was honest about that because I personally, I just didn't want to live with the guilt of you got accepted because they don't know who you really are. Um, Mm. so I was very honest and also I had the right heart. I truly didn't realize that there was more to be had when it came to my relationship with Jesus. And I knew I wasn't perfect. I wanted to know God. So it was genuine. The the answers to my questions were genuine, but yeah, I was definitely, I just didn't really know that I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then, so Thailand, was that your first country? Um, it was my. On the race. Yeah, on the well, it, actually, I didn't go on the race first. I'm sorry, I should have okay. clarified that. I actually oh, did wow. passport first. Okay, so gotcha. passport is kind of like world race semesters, they call it now. So I went to yep. Thailand and actually Cambodia. They switched us up about halfway through. So okay. that was my first mission trip, and then actually what so ended the up training happening, camp was for passport. Yes, gotcha. Okay, and then um, one of the girls on my team, she was from Atlanta, well, close to Atlanta. And she wanted me to come and live with her. And I just, because my family, they're not saved and I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I came from kind of a broken home. And so even from like the first couple weeks that she knew me, she was like, I want you to come and live with me. And in my head, I was like, that's probably never going to happen. But I ended up moving to Atlanta when I got home and I stayed for about nine months. And during that nine months, I prepared to go on the race. So I spent nine months down there with her and her family. They really discipled me even further. And then I did the race and I was on the first ever five and nine. So it was Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Rwanda, Nepal, and the Philippines. Wow. That's awesome. Where did you go in um, Nicaragua and the Philippines? So I was with a woman named Sarah. She's a pastor and we were right by Lake Nicaragua with the volcanoes of Ometepe. Yeah, we were right there. And we just basically had um, every day we did a feeding for like the poor people in the community that came in, they ate. We got to just play with the kids. Um, and we were just part of the ministry there at their church. It was like really fun month <laughs> playing with kids. And we lived like right by the volcanoes. Yeah. Well, I, um, me and like one of my best friends, we led a trip to uh, 
Omatepe. We were to Nicaragua, but we were in on Omatepe for the. So you were at the orphanage. Yeah, we were at the orphanage, and then we met Sarah. And actually, some of our we had like two weeks um, where our girls like we kind of split team split off into two groups, and one group went to one part of the island, and the other group went to Rebus with Sarah. Nice. So I never, I didn't get to go because I led the. Um, the teams when we split to the other part of the island, but I know they all went and spent more time. Omatepe was and, awesome and though, and I actually met my best one of my best friends. She was on a passport trip on the island. I was okay. on the race. We went to hike the volcanoes, and then I mm-hmm. met her. We like swapped information, and then it turns out she lived like two or three hours from me in Pennsylvania. So now we visit oh, wow. each other all the time. Oh, <laughs> so that's pretty funny. Oh, that's so special. And I, I like one of a couple of the girls that I still travel with and keep in touch with are actually from that trip. So it was yeah. a lot of that place has a, such a special place in my heart because everybody my, loves Nicaragua. Yeah, yeah. My best friend and I got to to lead that trip together, and then um, some of the girls that I've just still kept in contact with from that trip are are just really special. Travel was that a passport trip? It was. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So after after my world race, we um. It was like the summer after, like probably about a year after we got back, we led that trip in the summer for like two nice. months. I love Passport. Um, yeah, yeah. It was really, it was different. I went on the world race first, so it was it was special to be in one place for two months. Um, mm-hmm. It was really nice. Because you did you 11 guys... and 11, I bet. I did. <laughs> yeah. That's um, wild. <laughs> Yeah. So do, you didn't do 11 and 11. You did. No. So okay. we did a month in Costa Rica, one month in Nicaragua, two in Rwanda, two in Nepal, and three in the Philippines. So we progressively stayed longer okay. in each country. Okay. Because that like <laughs> my whole like setup was the 11 and 11. So now the whole like this many months in this country, this many in that, like it's so confusing to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> cool. Well, where did you go in? I'm curious now too, because I just always love like asking like what ministry you were with in which country. Where did you go right. to in Rwanda? I was in, it's called Kizirakome, the village, and it's about four hours on a bus away from Kigali, the capital. Okay. Um, All of our teams were in Kigali except for mine. So okay. I was in the, the straight village and it was amazing. I worked with a pastor named Fatia. She's a widowed female pastor and she has a big church, probably close to 300 now. Um, and so when I go back to Africa, I'm always partnering with her. She's really who taught me how to preach and has given me a really amazing platforms in Africa to preach. Mm-hmm. So I love her. She's awesome. Is that I know a lot of racers have gone and stayed with her as well. Yeah. Is that kind of where your heart for Africa started or or how did how did that connection kind of happen? It is, yeah. It was my first time in Africa. Yeah, so it was my first time in Africa and I loved the village. I really didn't think I was going to come back. Um, so my very first day in Africa, I took a walk and I found the well. And there were these little kids who were carrying water home so I I took the buckets from them they didn't speak English but I took it and I was helping them because Rwanda is dirt roads and it's all super hilly so I carried their water home with them and to say thank you the mother gave me a like a live chicken as a gift she was like you like can we give you head so I I walked home with this chicken and then I ended up becoming friends with these people they lived probably like a mile and a half away up this hill but I would go and see them all the time and then when I was leaving Africa I came And one of the girls, I would always bring them gifts. So 
she said to me, when you come back, what will you bring me? And I was trying to explain, like, no, Tata, I'm not coming back. Because you just can't make that promise if you're not if you're not sure. So right. I told her, I was like, I, I'm not coming back. And she was like, God will send you back and you'll bring me a Bible. And then she walked away. And so yeah. after my race, um, I ended up moving back home to New York. And it was, like, right around a year later. I was, like, weeping in my room because I could hear her words in my head. And I knew I needed to go back and, and bring her a Bible. And I would pray, like, Lord, please. I would, like, wear my African clothes around in my house. Like, I just missed it so much. And it was such a drawing of God. So I ended up going back. Um, and this was my first time traveling by myself. Um, so I went back. I brought her a Bible. Um, I preached all over Africa. Fatia's from Uganda, so we went to Uganda. Um, I was given a pet goat there. <laughs> so I made awesome <laughs> friends. I got to preach in some really cool places really cool churches on the radio in Kigali and then I went back even a third time just this past December so I was in Kenya Rwanda Uganda and Tanzania and God opened a door for me to preach at an East African youth conference so Rwanda Uganda Burundi and Congo were all represented there in Kenya um, and then they want me to come back again. So just God has really opened a door to me in Eastern Africa. So right now that's where the basis of my ministry is going to be. And it's pretty evangelistic, just coming, showing up and preaching the gospel. Wow, that's incredible. So really just by like building those relationships during your time there, um, initially, it was kind of what brought you back and, and yeah. you going back. It's crazy how they snowball. Like you meet one person and they introduce you to this pastor and this pastor. But yeah, the Lord has made a lot of connections that I I wasn't expecting. I was actually in Tanzania this December. It was my first time in the country. Um, When I was planning on coming back to Africa, I called my pastor in Kenya who was connected to me through Fatia. And I said, hey, I feel like God wants me to go to Tanzania. And he was like, wait, you're coming in December. I'm supposed to preach at this East African youth conference. Why don't you come and be one of the guest speakers and come with me? So I was in my hotel room in Tanzania, and I don't know anyone in this country. And all of a sudden, my, my phone rings in the room. I don't know anyone here. And it was this guy who was at the conference who heard me speak. And after we conversed a little bit, he said to me, hey, my father is a pastor. We run really big crusades in Tanzania, and we would love for you to come back and do a crusade, which is what I have really felt the Lord calling me to do. So it's crazy how those connections will just snowball, and when you're obedient, God will bring you access. Right, right. That's so amazing. So what is your vision for going back there and starting this nonprofit? And what do you want to, how does that look like? That's a great question. And it's actually something that I'm really still praying on. Originally, I thought I was going to be like this crazy missionary girl who like moved and never came home. I really don't (laughs) feel that that's what the Lord is calling me to do anymore. I also used to then I thought I was going to kind of have something like the race and, and pull other missionaries along with me. But recently, I've been asking pastors all over Africa, what does your country need for revival? What does your church need? What does your village need for revival? And what I have been coming across is that they need people. They first of all need access to to Bible schools there. They need access to learn how to preach the gospel and they need their own people equipped because you think about it in Africa, most people speak English, their national language. So Swahili or Kinyarwanda and then a tribal language. And how many people speak that tribal language? It's ineffective to train up a missionary to speak a language that they're probably never going to be 
extremely fluent in unless they spent, I mean, years and years of dialect school just right. to share the gospel with a couple of hundred people. That's just not the most practical model. So my heart really is to go and equip missionaries in Africa to preach the gospel in their language to their right. people, to their families. Right. Well, and that should be, I think, the goal, too, is to, like, make disciples in these nations who are then going to be making disciples of their nation, you know, from of exactly. their nation. Exactly. And really having that ripple effect and, and they're going to be right. the best ones able to to really do that. So that's, I mean, that's incredible and great what you're doing and you're, you're going Thank through you. the Bible school now. That's really exciting. It's just so encouraging to hear from you um, and hear just your heart for Africa. I have not been back to, I went to, on my race, we went to Kenya, Uganda, and Rwanda um, oh nice so you know yeah so right around that they same area you, exactly Mzungu too yeah. yeah i actually had a shirt that i said love Mz- it mzungu, mzungu on the means front white person that's what right. they call everybody yes right i had the shirt that said mzungu on the front and then it that's said so my, funny uh, i had na- one that said my name it said my name is not mzungu on the back yeah my name is not mzungu <laughs> that's and so people funny. thought that was so funny I, yeah i use it as a joke all the time i'll like go into a church and like Nitoa, my name is. I'll be like Nitoa Mazugo, and that. Ah, I think it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so much fun. I but love I it. So, I haven't been back so to cool. there anywhere, and I would just love to um to go back and and. Where did go you back. go in Rwanda? We were um we were in Kigali um we were with Pastor Robert um ah oh, man we were, I know so many pastors but I don't know of him right we were I. Did, I don't know how to say his last name but so we were with him all month and um we were in the city and we would we actually his church though was kind of in the hills on the outskirts and so we would walk a ways and then take a bus and then yeah walk down a a hill and back up a hill and i swear i got into such good shape that month because the land sounds about right and (laughs) and then so um, do you know pastor moses I yeah he actually like so he Pastor Moses lives literally like five minute walk from Pastor Robert. Oh um, my gosh! Yes, <laughs> did you go to his house? Yes, um, I went a couple oh, times. Oh, I his love church. Pastor Moses. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did he's yeah. the one that I he's in my main contact in Kigali. So when I fly in, okay. he'll pick me up, and oh, um, he yeah. puts me to work. I kid you not. He picks me up from the airport. This most recent time, so I. Flew into Kenya. I spoke at an English service, my first time ever preaching in English in Africa without a translator. A um, couple days later, took an overnight bus, like 16 hours into Tanzania. Um, I showed up at the conference, preached. They liked my preaching, so after lunch, they had me preach again. A um, couple days later, I flew to Dar Salaam, had a layover flew into Kigali and as soon as I landed Pastor Moses picked me up took me to his church I preached took me to the radio station I preached took me to another church I preached and then I crashed (laughs) I was so exhausted wow he's he's awesome though that's amazing so I'm curious too like doing all this traveling how has it been to travel by yourself as a woman in Africa that's really great question well my first time ever traveling alone, I was personally getting over a lot of insecurity. I never mm-hmm. felt like I was necessarily capable of doing anything like this by myself. I really wasn't super independent before my first passport trip. 
So a lot of it was me telling myself, if anyone else can do this, you can do this. There's no reason you can't do this. Maybe you're not the best at math and doing your own finances isn't ideal, but you can. Maybe it will take you longer than someone else, but you're still able to do it. So a lot of that was my biggest fight. And when I decided if anyone else is able to do this, so am I. Um, And there is a way to do it safely. You know, you have to think about it. Africa is someone's like backyard. This is the place that they were raised. And let's just say a foreign exchange student was coming from Europe to America and they were coming to New York and they were coming to my small town, but their parents here in New York and they think like the streets of Manhattan at night and they tell their son like, no, you can't do that. That's so unsafe. But really, Africa is an entire continent. It's not a country. And even within the country, there are safe places and unsafe places just in the same way that there are safe and unsafe places, I mean, in my own neighborhood. So once I kind of, my family had a really hard time with me going in the beginning, but once they realized like, wait, she's staying with local people who know what they're doing. My best advice would be, first of all, partner with local people and trust what they say because they know about their country. Like, For example, my first time in Kenya, I was not allowed to go to the slums because they were in the middle of a political election and there was a little bit of tension and they told me that it's not safe because there might be some uprisings. I was still allowed to leave my house, but they didn't have me go to the slums. My second time, I was allowed to go. Um, So just trust what they tell you. My personal rules for myself are I try not to travel at night with the exception of obviously flying Um, or my other thing is if I am going from one location to the other, I'm always have a contact on both sides who knows where I'm going to be. Um, I obviously don't tell anyone where I'm staying. Um, obviously don't get in a stupid conversation and, oh yeah, I'm by myself. I never draw attention to the fact that I am alone. Um, you have to just not be afraid, but don't be stupid either. Um, one of my hosts in Peru who I also, I went there by myself just for fun. (laughs) Um, He told me, fear is a liar, but danger is real. And I thought that was a really cool quote because it's really true. Fear is not, the Bible says that the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, which means that a fear is a spirit. It's a demonic spirit that God has not given us. But then the verse goes on to say, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. So, I mean, the Bible even says we can have the mind of Christ. So I'm not going to walk in fear ever. There's no excuse use for it even in the midst of danger but also don't go knocking on dangerous door and getting yourself into a bad situation so if you have balance I think anybody can travel and do it safely right yeah that's so so true and I think to the mental kind of what you were saying the mental battle of just getting the confidence of like oh wait I can do this like right if other people can do it I can do it and then just to use some common sense like be aware of what's going on around you exactly (laughs) having having those people on both ends who like are expecting you to arrive you know and know where you're going I think that is so important too if you can have right and I mean just to add on to the point you just said I feel that so many people want to travel and they think that it's so unattainable like it's just I mean personally for me before I ever did travel my my parents had never left the country neither had I and I just was like oh my gosh I want to do this so bad, but like, how do I do it? And you just have to decide to go (laughs) like book your flight. It will never be a convenient time. There's always going to be something that you're going to miss at home and whatever, but you might have to sacrifice buying new clothes or whatever you'd spend that money on alternatively. But if you set the money aside and you choose a place and you make a connection and you just book your flights, just go and do it. And it really is possible. Yeah. 
I love that. And I, I've done some traveling by myself. Mostly I'm like, I know people on the other side or, um, you know, have people that are going that go with me, but, and we meet there or something like that. But really like, (laughs) there's so many places that I want to go. And if I waited for somebody to go with me every time I wanted to go somewhere or do something, I wouldn't wouldn't get to do, (laughs) to do what I've done. Exactly. My friend Alyssa, the one who I said I lived with that we met on my first mission trip, she actually lives in Iraq. She is working with an organization called the Preemptive Love Coalition. So they work with refugees over there. And she lives in Iraq and she says she feels safer on the streets of Iraq than she would in Atlanta at night. And I mean, she's she's by herself. Essentially, she has a community of people over there. But she's safe. She literally she doesn't live in Baghdad. She lives in a safe area. And I cannot wait to go visit her personally. Right, right. So it's just like being aware of of what's going on and and where you're going and having those those local connections can be right. And even like I would rather fail trying than never try at all. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like when it comes to just taking that step of faith, yeah, yeah. The Lord calls us to take those steps of faith and to get out of our comfort zone, and and really by doing that is how we learn and how we grow. exactly yeah my family has asked me so many times like I mean my mom (laughs) she called me before I left for Africa by myself the first time she called me crying like sobbing she had just watched something on the news about how a white woman was killed in Africa now she was a journalist so she was probably in the middle of a war zone and I'm not denying that those situations can be real But I started feeling that fear creep into me because it was being imparted to me from her. And I had to just say, stop, hang on. First of all, the gospel is worth my life. And so Mm -hmm. just hypothetically speaking, even if I did die sharing it, that's worth it to me. So I will never stop and I will never base what God tells me to do off of whether it's safe or not. What did God tell Jesus to do? So first of all, it's worth it to me. But second of all, stop speaking doubt and fear over my trip because the Bible says that life and death come out of your tongue and you're going to eat of its mm-hmm. fruit. And mm-hmm. so I just want, like I I believe that that spirit was being just passed on to me from the people around me. The more you listen to it, then it starts to be your confession. Well, maybe it isn't safe. Well, maybe I shouldn't do that. And you just have to watch what you say and what you speak yeah. and you have to speak faith because fear is going to kill your faith. And that's going to be when the situation really does arise because what we are afraid of, I mean, even in the book of Job, what he feared most is what came upon him. So even Mm -hmm. giving the devil that foothold and I just don't even entertain fear. If I know it doesn't come from God and it's a lie, then why would I choose to believe that or even entertain that in my life? Yeah. Yeah. Not letting those doubts creep in when you know you've heard from the Lord that you're yeah, supposed to be exactly. going somewhere or doing something is so important. So what about this book that you're writing? Um, you yeah. A so bit about that. Of course. So I'm writing a book and it's mainly the premise of the book is I have seen personally in my life when something bad happens, something that someone doesn't understand happens. People say, oh, well, yeah, everything happens for a reason. And that statement is true at surface level, but everything happens for a reason. That doesn't always mean that it's God's reason or that it's a good mm-hmm. reason. Romans eight twenty eight it says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So really mm-hmm. what the revelation that the Lord gave me is that everything that happens is based off of a decision either made by God or made by man 
or made by the enemy. Because first of all, yes, God's all sovereign. He will always intervene in our lives, but also we have free will and we have to own our own responsibility, our own decisions. And then lastly, we live in a fallen world. And so all three of these things are happening. Some things happen because the devil inflicted them. Some things happen because we just made a poor decision or a good decision. Even the Bible says a man plans his ways and the Lord directs his steps. And then also God is, again, he's sovereign and he, he intercedes and intervenes in our lives. So the, the Lord said to me that maybe three people have a pen in our story, but only one has an eraser and can totally rewrite it. So the book is basically about my testimony and how God has rewritten everything in my life for good. Wow. And so I'm just going to be sharing a few other people's testimonies. And really what I want to do is rewrite that theology in people's hearts where they think that God had to create a bad thing in order to bring a good scenario in the end. That's simply mm-hmm. not true. And it really hurts my heart when people blame God for the works of the enemy. Right. Um, because he's only good and he only does good. And he can take the thing that the devil did and work it for good. But that doesn't mean that he brought it upon you. So right. that's essentially what the book is going to be Come about. Come on, girl. Woo. I can tell you are like fiery. I'm like, preach, girl. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've always like thought that too, though, like that verse, you know, like God doesn't have us and the world on little puppet strings, like controlling exactly. everything. We I mean, have what that kind free of will. parent would do that? What kind of parent would be in the kitchen and make a mess and then be like, hey, kid, look, I'm going to clean it up. Aren't I a great parent? Like, God doesn't oh, yeah. need that reassurance from us. He doesn't yeah, create or, bad situations just to work right. them for good. He just right. works and then, you know, all things for good. Exactly. And, you know, if if he was control in control of everything and then, you know, we have sin in the world, like he would be blaming us for things that he put into place. And so it just right. doesn't and, make sense. And that verse and the is other just thing, such a... Um, just a reflection of like how God, good God is because he can take no matter what happens, yeah, exactly. the worst that could possibly happen, he can take that and redeem it and work it out for our good. Exactly. The one thing that God gave me revelation on that was a really pivotal point for me is God has two types of will. One is a sovereign will. So for example, mm-hmm. Jesus dying on the cross. Nobody was going to intercede and be like, please, God, don't let that happen. Like it was going to happen no matter what. Um, Mm -hmm. Even Jesus said, Lord, if there's any other way, but nevertheless, let your will be done. Sovereign will is the rapture. Jesus is coming back and there's nobody that's going to stop that from happening. But desired will is salvation. The Bible Mm -hmm. says that God wills none should perish, but all should come to repentance. So literally, the Bible says that God wants everyone to receive this gift, but he doesn't force it upon us. So can you imagine if somebody prayed to be saved and we were like, oh, I'm not really sure that God wanted you to do that. Or if we didn't see the immediate fruit of that prayer, like let's say they were struggling with alcoholism they prayed and mind you, God can immediately set someone free. But let's just say the next day they were like, man, I still kind of want to drink. Would you tell that person? Oh, maybe God didn't want to save you. We prayed and it just didn't work. No, of course not. We would just tell them, keep declaring the word of God over your life. He promises your freedom, you know, but we tend right. to just think that, oh, well, if it doesn't happen, just like I think then maybe God just didn't want it to, which just isn't true. Mm. Wow. Yeah. It's so good. Like, I feel like we could talk about this so much. Um, Yeah, right. (laughs) But I'm I'm really excited for for that to come out, for you to finish that book. And is there like any anticipated finish or published date or what's the status Um, on that? I'm hoping to have it 
done and ready to go by before 2021. Okay, cool. I don't want to give anything too specific because I'm really not positive yet. Right. (laughs) Make any promises or anything yet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So um, I just have a couple questions for you travel wise. Um, Is there anything that you cannot travel without or that's kind of become your go to like I always travel with this item? um other than super basic things probably not much <laughs> i like to dress pretty casual okay, super I've basic can be essential like headphones yeah exactly no headphones i even oh i was so upset so i bought i actually had this is awesome i had a 12 hour layover in paris on my way to africa and a 24 hour layover on my way home from africa on christmas day so that was great um praise the living lamb <laughs> but anyways yeah. I I had my headphones with me lost them had a layover in Boston on my way to Paris bought another pair and then they I think somebody stole them out of my bag and so I had to buy another one in Paris but I'm never without headphones um right a blow-up neck pillow I have a Sea to Summit one it's super small but it is so comfortable I recommend everybody gets it it's literally fits into this tiny little pack that's like two inches all around and it's so great um and then the other thing I travel with is African clothes or like the local clothing of the country that I'm going to okay because it's super important to for example when I was in Tanzania I wore their traditional garments while I preach and people come up to me all the time and they're like thank you for doing that it just makes them feel more comfortable and especially with how conservative the different cultures can be and just making the effort to show them like I care about you I care about your culture where you come from and I'm not just coming in here as this white mzungu like trying to run this place but I really respect the culture that I'm in so I always have I have a bunch of African clothes and I love to bring them with me when I go that's awesome. I had it. Yeah, and I always come home with more too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna say when we were in Kenya, um, we had some um, like kind of custom. We went and picked out the fabric and then had yes, a I love dressmaker make so make fun. skirts for us, and it was so fun because I, I mean it was like specifically you know made for me. It was like a, a skirt tailored to my body. I was like the only probably the first and the only since ever piece of clothing that I've had that was made specifically for me and my body. So it was really special. Same, except I have a bunch of those from Africa, but same, I only ever get them in Africa. And the other thing I do is if I have a, like a pair of jeans or something that doesn't fit me quite right, um, I bring them to Africa and I get them like custom fitted to me and it's like $2. I bought a pair of overalls and they were like orange and they're very urban. They're really cute. I got them on sale, but they were huge. Like, they did not fit me at all. And I just put them in my pack. I was like, I'm about to go to Africa. And I brought them to my seamstress, and she fixed them and a couple other things for, like, $2. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's something So that, that was really like, cool. Yeah, that we kind of take for granted here. And we don't really have anymore, but there's so many, like, dressmakers and and – um right and I love blessing them even beyond what they're expecting exactly you can support their business but I love um just being able to give them more than they're expecting and and provide help provide for them in that in that way it's a huge um um job over there right right oh that's so great when I went to Uganda we went we went for the weekend and Fatia said to me, so her family, like I said, is from Uganda. So I was essentially going to meet my Ugandan grandmother because Africa, or excuse me, Fatia is like my African mom. So she says yeah. to me, Shania, do you like the river na? And I'm like, do I like the what? 
She said, do you like River Na? I'm like, do I like the River Nile? Yes. Do you like? Yeah, I like it. Oh, we'll go. <laughs> she said, do you like the equator? I was like, the equator? Yeah, do you like it? Yeah, I like it. Okay, we'll go. So we uh-huh. like left the next morning. We took an overnight bus and her cousin picked us up in a car at the equator. And it was a British car, so the steering wheel was on the right side instead of the left side. And we're driving, and all of a sudden he says to me, Shania, do you drive in America? I'm like, yeah, I do. He's like, okay, you drive. And I was like, I I don't know how to drive this car. He's like, it's okay. So I was driving this car down this dirt road, and all these kids were running. Mazooka, mazooka, mazooka. And I was the (laughs) second American to ever visit one of the places and the first to visit another one. So I was really in the bush of Masaka. It was so beautiful, so fun. And then I actually got to preach at Fatia's mother's church. And after the service, they called me aside and they said, we want to give you a gift for preaching. And they gave me a goat on a leash. And I was so <laughs> excited. I was so happy. I said, oh, my gosh, what should I name my goat? He said, uh, Chibara Chokutona. I said, OK, what does that mean? He said, it means gift from God. So I was like, OK. Uh... So I took him for walks and I still check up on him. He's my pet. <laughs> <laughs> did you? So did you go to the Nile, too? Oh, yep. And then we did. We went to the Nile. It was kind of like a family thing. So all of her siblings came and we took a little boat ride and stopped at, it's called the source of the Nile. It's Jinja. Yeah. yeah. Um, Did you go there? Yeah. Yeah, We went went exactly right there and um, got in the water a little bit, took some pictures, took a boat ride. So that was super fun. Nice. I I have like, (laughs) oh my gosh, I almost died there. Uh, That's no exaggeration. Oh, Um, no. (laughs) Yeah, we did the... We did Jinja on our way from Kenya to Uganda. We kind of had like a stopover. That was our nice, um, kind of like a debrief kind of point. Not we didn't do a debrief there, but it was just like a like a, a little break. a resting point, a break of sorts between one country and the next. And we stayed at um, this little campsite on the river and did the whole whitewater rafting and bungee jumping nice no I didn't get to do all that which was like an incredible experience it's one of those like once in a lifetime kind of markers for me and it was so much fun like I look was looking so forward to it and I mean it was an incredible experience but we literally almost died on the Nile River and it's just like one of those yeah yeah, rafting. Wow. Um, it's just That's like one insane. of those stories that I always go back to. Like if I had a near death, one near death story in my life so far, oh my it gosh. is for sure there. And it's if, like, I feel like a lot of people say that, but no, ours like legitimately, <laughs> like our guide got fired and everything. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's yeah. wild. I'm curious, Shania, have you always had such a like confident voice in sharing the gospel or like not even like sharing the gospel, but like been comfortable? Because to me, to me, it seems like, you know, you're very comfortable with um, kind of preaching and, and speaking and teaching. Has that always been something that kind of comes natural to you or do you feel more of like it's been your kind of journey of faith and, and the Holy Spirit guiding you and getting more experience preaching that has done that? Yeah, well, I've always loved talking, <laughs> preaching, <laughs> not so much. Well, the first, I, I did always love to share the gospel. Like, I I truly believe that the Lord's hand was on me from such a young age. And looking back, 
like looking backwards at my life, I'm like, oh my gosh, you were there there and you were there then all preparing me for my calling. And so when I got to Thailand, I tried. I mean, I just didn't know much, but I was like, I will be the one to preach because I just love the Lord so much and he Mm -hmm. loves people and I want to give him a gift that he wants to receive. Like he wants you, he wants us. Like he died to, to purchase us back. And, and I just, when that happened to me and I encountered that, I want everyone to be this free. I want everyone to experience this. Like we need Jesus. We like, he created us to be in relationship with him. And man, I love him so much that I just genuinely, I would rather look like a fool to man Mm -hmm. than a fool to Mm -hmm. God. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm perfect at all, um, there have been so many times where the Lord has convicted me I'm in my country and other countries to, you know, share the gospel in some capacity. And I, I didn't. And there was one specific time where I was at Walmart and I felt like the Lord wanted me to walk up to this man who was getting in his car, this older man. And I didn't. And then he was still sitting in his car. And, you know, there's this war going on, like, it's not too late, but, oh, that'd be really awkward and this and this and this. And the Lord said to me after that, he said, you know, you may have looked like a fool to him. But now you look like a fool to me and you look like a fool to all the angels that were surrounding your car that were there to help you and all the demons that were there around his. And and just like in a hypothetical sense of like, maybe you look like a fool to that person, but now you look more like a fool to me. And I would always rather look like a fool in the eyes of man than the eyes of God. Right, right. Oh, that, that perspective is just so important. It is. And then there were other things that really helped me where... My my first few times ministering and evangelizing, I got really great feedback. Um, once I was in, I was in Thailand. Um, we were at our debrief, and I met this man. He was Muslim, and he was staying at our hostel. So we kind of talked a little bit. And then one day, I I ran into him at a market, and he said to me, "Hey, Shania, I'm leaving. So like, bye. It was nice to meet you." And I said, "Wait, can I pray for you?" And he said, "Yeah." And I said, "Okay, what do you need prayer for?" And he said, "My mom is sick." So I prayed for him. And when I opened my eyes, he was crying and he said, thank you. And he walked away. And a lot of times in ministry, you'll see that someone's life is A through Z and you're a part of M or W. And you're like, I don't see the beginning or the end. I don't know why I had to do exactly what I did. And the Lord will finish it from there. And you just have to trust that. But sometimes he will show you the fruit of what he had you do. So this man, he actually found me on Facebook. And three or four months later, he said, hey, I don't know if you remember me. Um, we met in Thailand and my name is this. And I just want to tell you that my mom is getting better. And I think it's because of your prayer. I don't want to be a Muslim anymore. Will you tell me about Jesus? And so, yeah. And the Lord just showed me from such an early age, like I'm with you. And when I tell you to do something, there's a reason. And whether you see it or not in that moment, because I was okay with the ending that I had, but then the Lord took it a step further to show me, hey, even when I don't show you this part, just know that this part's happening. I am bringing mm-hmm. fruit to what you do. And everything I do, I'm trying to do through you. There is a purpose to it. And whether you see it or not is not your responsibility. Whether yeah. you see it completed or not is not your responsibility. You just have to be obedient and I'll do the rest of it. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. Ah, So good. For anybody like sitting at home and listening, maybe they... um have always wanted to go out and travel the world or feel a heart um, or tug towards going on a missions trip, um, but just don't either know how to get started or don't know where to begin or, you know, haven't haven't gone anywhere yet, what would you say to anybody who's maybe sitting at home listening to this today? Oh, man, I would say I was you (laughs) 
for a really long time. And it's absolutely possible. Like, that's just what I want you to know. If God put a desire in you, it's for a purpose. And it's actually not for you. It's for him. Because he has a plan for you that he wants you to use in order to bring people to salvation or, you know, some level of intimacy with God. And it's really for him. But when you serve him, you're always going to be at your most joyful place because it's what you were created to do. Um, Just to share one last story with you. I used to have Mm -hmm. dreams about countries I'd never been to long before I even really considered traveling and especially Paris. I've never done ministry there, but I just have always wanted to go to Paris. So I used to have this dream. My parents would tell me, Shania, what? You're in Paris. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, no way. And I would, in my gym, I would get so happy. And I would look around and it would look just like my town because, again, I was a young girl. I didn't know what Paris looked like. And mm-hmm. I would look, for, I would walk all over the place looking for the Eiffel Tower. And then I'd realize, wait, I'm not really in Paris. And I would wake up so sad. I kid you not. I always had that dream. <laughs> and it's so funny because I went to Paris in high school. And then the Lord, I'd been wanting to go back. And it was actually, about this time last year, it was when the Lord was telling me not to go to Africa yet. And I believe the reason why was because he wanted to show me that travel can never be an idol in your life. And I wanted to go so bad, but I was called to Bible school and I needed to be focused. And I told the Lord, I will sell all my travel gear if you want me to, (laughs) but I will never (laughs) let this be an idol in my life. And it was rising up like, oh, but don't you just want to be on a plane again? Don't you just want to? And yeah, of course I did. But I love God more than I love any gift he could give me. So Mm. I almost booked this spontaneous flight to Paris. And I just felt like the Lord told me, don't do this. Like, please be obedient. Because every time God's asking you to be obedient, a blessing is going to come from it. And Mm -hmm. his way is always better than your way. So when I ended up going back to Africa, it was right as soon as I felt like I didn't need to go and I wasn't so focused on it. The Lord said to me in a time of prayer, it's time for you to go back. And I almost thought, no, it isn't. I just got okay with being here. What do you mean? But he said to me, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be obedient to go. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up raising money. I went back to Africa for the third time. It was clearly the Lord's will. Um, He opened a bunch of doors, but I prayed just a little bit. And I was like, Lord, I would love to spend Christmas in Europe somewhere if that's possible or maybe Paris if possible, specifically Paris if possible. <laughs> and I, the only flight I could find, the only flight that was even reasonably in my price range was this like $700 round trip flight from New York to Kenya that had 12 hours in Paris on my way and 24 <laughs> hours on Christmas Day on my way back. So Christmas oh, Day, wow. I woke up in Kenya. I got on a flight to Paris. The flight was basically empty. I had a whole aisle to myself. (laughs) I was literally living the dream. I landed about 2 p.m., changed my clothes, took a taxi, went straight to the Eiffel Tower for sunset, climbed the Eiffel Tower, and I actually made a connection on the World Race alumni page of a girl who lived in Paris. She said, hey, I'm going to be in England, but you can stay at my apartment for free. So I stayed at her apartment, and her roommates, both of them, were from Kenya. So they made me chapati. I was eating African food in Kenya, talking about my trip. So fun. And I'm just sitting here like, like, Lord, I truly, every time I have had an expectation and I've done things God's way instead of my way, God has far surpassed that expectation. Every time I've had a dream, God has far surpassed what I thought that that dream would fulfill in me. So I would just encourage you. I was in your place. And it's absolutely possible, but don't follow your dreams. Follow Jesus, and he will make those dreams a reality for you. Oh, that's so good. 
Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If, if anybody listening wants to get up with you, what's the best way for them to, um, reach out or find you? Uh, I'll just give you, yeah, I'll give you all my information and you can pick and choose. My Facebook is just my name, Shania Morse, and it's S H A N I A. Last name is Morse, M O R S E. Okay. My Instagram is Shania Lynn with three N. So like L Y N N N and one underscore because just regular Shania was taken <laughs> and then <laughs> if you want to send me an email my it would just be shania.l.morse at mm-hmm. gmail.com so I love making new connections making new friends making new travel buddies so anybody can contact me in any of those ways and I'll be sure to get back to you awesome well thank you so much for coming on the podcast yeah thank you for having me Thanks for listening to the Traveler Co. podcast. I hope this leaves you feeling more encouraged to get out and discover the so much more that God has for your life. To get further connected with our community of travelers, you can sign up for our weekly devotional or join our co-working group at travelerco.com. That's T-R-A-V-E-L-H-E-R-C-O.com. Talk soon.